you know, they got these little ring cameras now, and somebody posted last night, if you lose your dog and all that, they get on there, and the neighborhood can find out what's going on. Somebody said, I hear gunfire. What is that? <laughs> I was like, somebody done crawled out from under a rock. <laughs> All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, not an obscure passage, but a little bit different passage, amen? All right, can everybody see me with the flags? Everybody good? Y'all see me over there? Okay, all right. A uh, little bit different flag, it's a little, uh, little flag, a little bit different passage uh, than w- what we're probably used to, but here at Woodlake, here's what we do. We go through the book, and this is where we landed this morning, amen? This is where we are, so we're going we're gonna to deal with this, and And hopefully, this doesn't ever apply to you, but it's biblical, it's scriptural. And one of the the things, you all know this, that uh, I don't know a man alive who's not seen the courts used literally as a battering ram. We we know that. Today, what we really have, uh, uh, we live in a day, an age today of lawsuits. So this will help you as far as to know what to do. Now, uh, this is important because it happens all the time. Uh, it doesn't happen, thank the Lord, as much in church as it does out of church. Now, the context, if you look very quickly with me, uh, just at verse number 4, he's, he uses the word church. And so the context of this is in the church. So now, when you are c- confronted with a lawsuit outside the church, the rules change. And so uh, hopefully we can get all the way through this today. I'm trying to do this whole chapter, I mean this whole 11 verses. And then, you know, we moved away from uh, what Paul was talking about with divisions in the church. And so we, we moved away from that. And now we're into more of not the, the mind, but the body and the sins of the Corinthian church that they were committing in the body. And here's one in the, in the body of Christ that was a problem there. So you know that really what we have today uh, outside of the church is ambulance chasers. You know, I remember the first time I ever heard that saying that some, there's lawyers always following the ambulances, and when there's an accident, they, they jump in there. You know the phrase, one call, that's all. <laughs> so uh, I'd like to borrow that. If you want to get saved, one call, that's all. <laughs> so um, high insurance rates, medical costs, all the things, you know the story. We pay the, the price for that because there are some people out there that are just so happy. Mostly everything we do here at the church, the first thing we do when we plan is we plan around the lawsuits. I mean, that's just the way you have to do it. It is bizarre. People know these things, and they go after places. Uh, They're bickering spouses. There's fighting neighbors. Lawsuits are definitely a problem. The courts were really set up by God himself as a protection for poor people, and it is everything but that today. So generally, everything that man touches, it turns into a three-ring circus, and so this is a, a very important passage. So we as Christians are not to spend our times in the court. Did you hear me say that? Because I know people that are just so happy, and many people make a living out of suing people. And today, the cost of literally for litigation for a church, if we are accused of something and have to defend ourselves, it will cost our insurance company $500,000. So that comes from Church Mutual. I know people literally who have made a living off of suing people and it does not do our witness well so what you're going to find is in this context what Paul is actually doing is trying to teach these believers that came out of this situation that they were in in Corinth 
the Jewish people generally handled all their disputes themselves. They would take it to the Sanhedrin or to their civil courts as well. But that the priests and the elders and the rabbis handled the problems. That's God's way for the church to actually handle their problems. The Greek culture had literally infiltrated the Corinthian church. And so that's why we see all these odd little passages in the book of First and Second Corinthians because Paul is trying to correct those problems. And so this is a, kind of an odd, we just keep going through, it's kind of an odd 4th of July message, but uh, I want to keep moving so that we not spend the rest of our lives in 1 Corinthians, amen? So one of the things that actually happened in Athens is the courts were actually a form of entertainment for the people. Now, do I need to mention that that's exactly what goes on in America today? Uh, Judge Judy and all kind of other programs like that. And why is that? I'll tell you why. Because we like to see people's business. We're nosy. We like to find out, you know, I bought a parakeet and paid too much money and he died. Well, then I take you to court to try to get some money out of it. And so if we, you know, it's just tough today to get through this world without somebody having some problems with you. And Paul here has to address that. Now, remember, Paul had addressed them in their jealousy, their disputing, picking which preacher was the best preacher, and all the things that happened with that. Now, when you have jealousy, fighting, disputing, divisions, what's next? Lawsuits. And so Paul says, this is, you folks there in Corinth, you don't need to do this. You need to stop this. Most of us would soon avoid the foolishness altogether. But there are times that you just have to lawyer up. If you don't, you can't, you can't protect yourself. So God really instituted the court system in, in order to protect the people of, of all days. But what, what happens? Well, the people get in power, and then they take over the court system. So uh, a lot of times I say this theological lesson is really, uh, you look at it, it's, it's okay with you. You don't mind that. You read uh, the first 11 verses of chapter 6. She says, I don't have a problem with that. And then you get sued. <laughs> and you're like, oh, whoa, 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 wait a minute. You're going to see what I'm talking about here in a minute because Paul is going to give you some tough words. So if you had not had a tough word in a while, I got a tough word for you this, this morning as far as how you deal with it inside the church, not outside the church, but inside of the church, okay? We're going to take things in context this morning. So I don't really have a neat outline for you this morning or anything. This doesn't set itself up that way. We're just going to go verse by verse. Let's look. Let, let's go uh, and, and read the text. If any of you has a legal dispute against his brother, he said, Do you dare go to the courts before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Or don't you know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is judged by you, are you not? Are you unworthy to judge the smaller, the the micros, the, the small cases. Don't you know, also, by the way, as we go through this, I want you to notice how many times Paul starts the verse with, don't you know. Okay, pay attention to that. Do you not know that we will judge angels, not to mention ordinary matters? So if you have cases pertaining to this life, do you select those who have no standing in the church? So Paul's saying, why would you let people judge what's going on in the church? He says, to judge what's happening, they're outside. I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is not one wise person among you who is able to, to arbitrate or judge between his brothers? Instead, 
believer goes to court against another believer and before unbelievers, as a matter of fact. You take this out, and so obviously the context here is in the church, and Paul's concerned about one thing, the witness of the people in Corinth. That's what he's saying. The body of Christ, your witness is most important. That's why everything we do here, we try to do above board and holiness. Then he says, therefore, to have legal disputes against one another is, is already, it's a moral failure for you. Why not rather put up with injustice? Now, if you didn't get a hard word yet since I've been in 1 Corinthians, there's your one right there. There it is. Why not rather be cheated? Wow. Paul says, listen, go ahead and lose your money if you have to, but don't take your brother to court. Your witnesses are more important. We'll talk about that more in a minute. Instead, you act unjustly and you cheat and you do this to believers. Don't you know, listen, write this in your Bible, right in the margin, lost people. He's going to give you a description of lost people. He said, don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom? Do not be deceived. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, uh, or anyone practicing homosexuality. No thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, those are lost people. He's talking about them as lost people. He's not talking about carnal Christians. He's talking about lost people. Now, verse 11, right, saved people here. And some of you used to be like this. See, he's saying you used to be like this. Now you're not supposed to act like that. You're not supposed to live with these sins in your life now that you're saved. He says, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Now follow with me. The first thing that Paul says, this is a, Paul's really kind of shocked. He says, uh, Tolmao, he said, dare you do this? He says, do you really want to do this? Are you sure that this is something you want to do? do? Do you have the courage, literally, that's what this little Greek word means, do you have the courage to do this? I, I like to put a little more modern twist on it. Some of you may like this. It says, what is wrong with you people? Have you all ever said that? You got a group of people and they're doing something that's really dumb and you just look at them and you say, what is wrong with you people? And, and that's what Paul literally is saying. That's what the Greek word is saying. He said, do you take this? He says, do you have these problems? Do you have these disputes? Now, the little Greek word is a participle right here. Many of your translations, the Holman Christian just misses it. It says, since, you, uh, since, since there has been. No, he's saying there is. It's a participle. It's an I-N-G on it. Paul says, you're having disputes among you. This tells you the character, in other, in other words, about the people in Corinth. They were constantly having problems. There was lawsuits, and they were like the people in Athens. They thought all this was funny. So they would pile into the courts to see what was going on. This is people, listen, this is people who don't have a life. How much time do you spend every day on your phone looking in at people who have disputes and foolishness in their lives? I can't read my Bible, brother. I don't have enough time. Yes, you do have enough time. You, you got plenty of time. If you could go back and look on your phone and see how much time you're spending looking at the businesses of other people who are just in disputes, you'll realize that you could have a lot more time spending in the Word. Now, I like funny stuff, too. I, I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying... Put some limits on it. And so Paul says, you're having these disputes, these matters. Uh, the Greek word here means the business affairs. And Paul says, how dare you take your business before the adikion? The word dikion always 
the delta iota kappa root in this word constantly means just, right, good, fair. But Paul puts the alpha privative on the front of it. It means the exact opposite. He said, why would you take the matters of your life before the unrighteous, the people who don't know what's good, who don't know what's right, who don't know what's holy and righteous, and let them judge the matters? How dare you, Paul says, take a matter before the pagan courts or the judges instead of before the saints? Now, I want to tell you, I've sat with a lot of people and tried to work out things before they ended up in court. Sometimes you can do it, sometimes you can't. Sometimes it just doesn't, it doesn't happen, and what ends up happening is, is, is you got to lawyer up. Just bottom line. So here's where the theology, now listen very carefully to pastor. This is where the pastor in me comes out. I know the theology. I know the laws, but I'm a pastor. I have to deal with people. And people don't always do what the law says. Now, Paul says, Paul says literally, he says, you got this legal dispute against another person. Why do you take it to the unrighteous people in the courts? And, and why not you take it before the saints? So wouldn't it be refreshing if we here today, we have two people, uh, and you know how this happens. Well, you said you was going to do this to my house, and you painted it, and you didn't do it the right way, and now i got to sue you to get you to come back and do it. Wouldn't it be wonderful if those people, the people of the body of Christ, trusted the elders and the deacons in the church so much that they would sit down at the table with the leadership of the church, plead their case, and let the leaders of the church make the decision, and everybody follow the rules. Now, I want to tell you, the least mature person spiritually in this building that's saved would give you a better shake about what should happen than the unrighteous people in the courts. You don't believe that? Well, you just keep on messing with the courts and find out. When you mess with them, you get what you can get. Now, I'm going to tell you a little situation, always. And then I want you to smoke it over in your mind. And then, and then when I'm finished, do it again, Okay. There was a situation in seminary where we had this young man. There was a young lady. Her name was Gladys. She worked in the, in the bookstore. And Gladys, Gladys was a pretty girl. And uh, she was there. Most of the guys that came to seminary were already married. And they brought their families there. So Gladys was just there for a very long time. She was a very pretty girl, but she was single. But she was very smart. She was very frugal. And she saved her money and did these things. Well, one of the students that came there that was single uh, was needing some extra money, and so he borrowed some money from her to buy a big lawnmower and promised to pay her back. Well, this went on and went on and went on and went on, never paid her back. So one day when I was in the bookstore, she asked me, what should you do? What should I do? Okay, now, young preacher there, probably had, had never preached through 1 Corinthians to start with, and I, I gave her this advice right here. I says, You've done everything you can to get this boy to pay you the money back. I said, let some of us go talk to him. We did and said, Gladys needs her money. And so he still didn't pay her back. And so my advice was, listen, God has a way to make all grace abound before you. Let it go. Okay, right? Amen? Okay, wrong. This is the church we're talking about, not the seminary. You see, I made a mistake. She went to the financial advisor and our, the guy who was in charge of all the ministers of music, great man, Huel Mosley. Here's what Huel Mosley did. He typed up a letter and said, here's your payments plan for the every week you're going to pay this girl 100 bucks until you pay it off. And if you don't, we're kicking you out of school. Woo! 
Guess what? Got paid off. Y'all all right? See, here you have to, when pastor says context is king, what does that mean? It means context is king. And we're not talking about, we're talking about the church right here. Now, if that was in the church, my advice would have been good. But Paul says, this, th- that was the seminary. And Paul is not talking. Paul says, what the people do, remember last chapter? What the people in the culture do, it doesn't have anything to do with us. It's us right here. Our witness in the body of Christ. Remember when we talked about our children being out of the will of God? If they're in the body of Christ, we have to discipline them. But in your family, you can't amputate them. You can't cut them off. You'll lose them. But here we have to protect the witness of the church. Amen? And so listen, verse number 2, Paul says, What in the world is wrong with y'all? Or don't you know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest cases? Now let me just tell you something. I, I I want you to understand that the church of Jesus Christ, the bride of Christ, is held in high regard, high dignity. Amen? And you say, see, if I don't have these passages, you won't even believe the Word of God when it's right there. Paul says, why can't, why can't you inside the church judge this? Don't you know that we as the church during the millennial time, we're going to literally, Paul says, judge the angels. Listen to these passages of Scripture. He actually calls you the hagios. It's the saints, the holy ones. Now, you may not feel very holy right now, but let me just tell you something. Uh, You know, I just pretty much get sick of my flesh a lot of times. But when we get to heaven, we're going to be walking with Jesus. We're going to be holy and righteous. And we're literally, he says, you'll be on the throne with me. Listen, Revelation 3, verse 21. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I overcame and sat down on my father's throne. Now, some of you old Baptists say, well, now, Brother Jerry, wait a minute now. That's the word of God. I didn't say that. John said that in Revelation 3. In Daniel chapter 7 and verse 21, And I watched, this horn was waging war against the saints. He defeated them until the Ancient of Days came and pronounced judgment in favor of the saints of the Most High. And that time came when they possessed the kingdom. We possess the kingdom with Jesus Christ. We're the, listen, the bride of Christ. How many of you married? Men, how many of you married this morning? Raise your hands. Is your wife seated next to you? Is she important? Does she know what you know? Does she do what you do? Does she go where you go? She's not a second-class citizen. She's your bride. We're going to be the bride of Jesus Christ. And Paul uses that in Matthew chapter 19 and 28 through 30. Here in the middle he says, You who have followed me will also sit on the twelve thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Are we not capable of judging, judging the small matters of life right here? Are we, not, are we not capable of doing that when we're going to be seated on the throne with Jesus Christ? Now some people say, boy, I just want to just get in the door. I just want to get in the door. I just want to be in heaven. I don't want to just be in heaven. I want to be sitting next to my Father. I want to be close enough to see Him and touch Him. I'm going to have access to every room in the house. Somebody should have said amen right there. In verse number 3, Dr. Vine says, The church of the Lord Jesus Christ has a lofty destiny. If you're qualified to sit on the Supreme Court of the universe and yet you can't handle petty matters right here in the house of God, what kind of Christians are we? 
In 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5, he says, uh, he talks about the angels. Now notice this in here. He says, well, listen to this. This is unbelievable. Don't you know that we will judge angels? Not to mention ordinary matters, small matters. You know, I've always wondered those passages in Second Peter and in Jude chapter, uh, Jude uh, uh, verse 5 through 7. In verse 6 it says, And the angels who did not keep their position of authority, but they abandoned them. They abandoned their own original home. These he's kept in darkness, bound with everlasting change for judgment on the great day. Who's going to judge those angels? Well, I think Paul the apostle right here tells us who's going to do it. We're going to do it. We'll be seated on the throne with the Lord Jesus. He talks about the millennium. Who's going to judge during the millennium? We will. And I want to be in charge of the drivers in Atlanta. That's what I want to do. Guy riding down the road, boom, gets zapped. Who did that, Jerry Gray? Shouldn't have cut me off, man, before the millennium. Y'all all right? I remember your name, boy. 2 Timothy 2.12. If we suffer with him, we will reign with him. See, we're always wanting to know, why, why, Lord, why am I suffering so? Why is this, this, this trial, this temptation? You see, we don't get to reign with Jesus and just for free. We're going to reign with the Son of God. In verse number 3, he talks about the things that pertain to life. He says, can't you, can't you deal with the matters of life? Man, this is a beautiful little Greek word. It, it actually is, uh, is agitable. And verb, but it's almost like a verbal noun, Tracy, is what it is. He says, these are the, the biotechos, the biotechos, bio meaning life in the, in the smallest part of this. The, the Greek word is uh, elakistos, and elakistos is a superlative form of the word mikros. Y'all with me? So mikros is micro. And so if you take the superlative form, good, good, or goodest, if you... Y'all are paying attention. Micro, infinitesimal, the smallest matters of life. He says, listen, if you're going to sit on the Supreme Court of the United uh, uh, of the universe, why in the world couldn't you deal with the smallest, itty-bittiest? Y'all with me today, boy, let me tell you. It refers to life, living he, and listen, that, that great redneck theologian says this. That's what Christian maturity is all about. Using the eternal wisdom that God has given us in the here and now. He's saying, listen, don't take it to the courts. Have your spiritual leaders do what they're supposed to do. The biotechos, the ordinary matters in verse number 4. It's just a disgrace here in verse number 4. He says, listen, folks, so if you have cases pertaining to this life, do you select those who have no standing in the church to judge? Do we let people come into the house of God who are adikaios, they're unrighteous, and tell us how to do our business when they don't even know the words of the book? He says, no, don't do that. Why, when you have petty quarrels, do you insist on judges that are terrible? They're not even believers. The policy Paul presents is that where, when Christians in a church disagree, they're to solve their own problems. Otherwise, they disgrace the church policy. 
before the world. It would be great if each church were this spiritual, that we were spiritually equipped enough to settle our own matters. You ever seen two people that finally came to the end and we don't like it, it's not biblical, but it happens and they get divorced. It just happens. And when that happens, they go to court. They're, they're look, we're just going to separate. We don't want any problems. We've loved each other. We, I, don't, I don't wish my spouse any harm. We just want a quick divorce and we're going to go our separate ways. And then the lawyers get involved. And then what happens? Greed. And then here, I bet you I've heard this a million times. It's not about the money. Yes, it is. It's always about the money. Two people that had children together, that loved each other, that cared for each other. Things went south. It's the reality of life. But now I want to cut your throat, cut you off at the knees, and take you and leave you destitute and poor. No. And where does that come from? It comes from, it comes from the lawyers. It comes from the people that are out there that are greedy. Jesus knew about this. And when Jesus spoke of the law, he talked about the, the spiritual law, the scriptural law, and how we're supposed to know it. But many times, Jesus knew about this. Think of all the parables that are in the Gospels that Jesus talks about. Uh, if you don't pay this, you don't do that, then they're going to hand you over to the, the, the judge or the court, and the court officer take you to this person, and then you go to judge, and then you'll be in jail the rest of your life until you pay the last penny. You have to sell yourself into slavery. Jesus understood that. He knew that. And, and look how it works out in verse number 5. He says, he, he says this, I say this to your shame. Can it be that there's not one wise person among you who is able to arbitrate between his brothers? Is there nobody here that can do that? Let me say something to you. Here's a place where I want to talk to all of you, but I want to talk to my deacons. You see, we concentrate on the divorce issue, and which is really unclear in the Scripture whether Paul is talking about a divorced man or a person who has one wife at a time. The Greek says a one-man woman. It means a faithful man. Do you know what I think would qualify half the deacons in the Southern Baptist Convention? Well, if you'll read it, you know, in 1 first, in first Timothy, he says that the man is supposed to be able to teach. Wow. In Titus, which we're going through, it says, Titus 1, verse 9, he must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine. Titus 2, 1 and 2, he again mentions sound doctrine. You have to know sound doctrine in order to teach sound doctrine. This is the body life. Many, many, many times over the years, I literally saw a group of men at a former church who were confronted with the problem, and they didn't have the biblical solution there were 20 deacons in one room. They didn't have a clue. And I was sitting there thinking, well, I'm really outnumbered, but I have the answer to this because it's right here in the Word of God. And none of them knew it. And so I want to tell you, many times we've elected deacons here. The church gets the vote, but I want to tell you something. If it's my responsibility to handle this, I have a veto. And I said, no, that guy can't be a deacon right now. He's not ready. Why? Because the biggest thing, the biggest problem that will hurt him is not whether he's been married before, but does he know the Scripture? Because if he doesn't know the Scripture, he doesn't understand how the body of Christ works. Now, I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of people who don't like that, but that's in the book. 
He, how many people would have been disregarded for being a deacon because he can't rule his family well? Y'all all right? This is why the standard is so high. Because these folks have to make decisions. You say, why is that so important, Brother Jerry? Well, well let me just tell you. So I make a decision. We just went through 1 Corinthians chapter 5, which most, most preachers never preached and most Baptists don't even know exists about church discipline. And then, I, and then I, I say to my deacons, we have to discipline these people and we have to amputate them from the body because, because there's uh, open immorality in this family. And then I get a deacon that doesn't understand the word. He stands against the pastor. And now he gets him a little following. And then people, see, people operate emotionally. I don't need my deacons to operate emotionally. I need my deacons to operate scripturally. And so that when we have to do what the scripture says do, they stand with the pastor. Y'all all right? And so it is important. Look in verse number 6. So that, he says, instead believer goes to court against believer and that before unbelievers. See, the context right here is, is our lives, our witness. He says, don't do that. Deal with your business in the church. And so can you imagine we're dealing with two believers. One feels cheated. The other feels like he's done his job. They had a, a handshake, no contract, no business. They just talked about it. This guy didn't fulfill his obligations like he was supposed to. And then I got a room full of leaders that are spiritually immature. And, and Paul says, to your shame. Somebody here should know the truth. Y'all all right? Happy Fourth of July. Now, if you hadn't heard anything this morning that got you upset, this is big boy and big girl theology right here. Pull them up tight. Therefore, to have legal disputes against one another, it's already a moral failure. Paul says just because you got the dispute and you two people, three people, four people, couldn't get together and solve the problem, you're already in trouble. Can I tell you all I have been that immature? You said, Pastor's preaching at us. No, I'm not. I'm preaching with you. I have been so childish about some of the dumbest things in my entire life. I know a Baptist who literally was in the drive-thru at Wendy's and the, and the manager, the girl said, I can't get in the register. And the manager threw his keys to the person. She missed the keys. They went through the window and hit the person in the face and scratched their nose. She sued Wendy's for a lot of money and got it. You know why? Because they know if they go to court, it'll cost $500,000 to defend themselves. So they give her $34,000. That's immature. That's, that's, and I kind of tell you something else. It's not Christian. If, you've, if there's been negligence and you're worried about somebody else getting hurt, well, maybe, yes. But in the body of Christ, we don't do that. And Paul says, listen, it is preferable to be wrong. Look, this is hard. Come on. Why not rather put up with the injustice? Why not rather be cheated? See, now that's what I told Gladys in the lawnmower story. I said, just be cheated. But we weren't in the church. This was at the seminary. And listen, here was a guy, listen, going to be a preacher. He's going to pastor a church. And he wasn't paying up. He didn't mind borrowing the money and going buying a lawnmower so he could cut grass, make some extra money. But he wasn't disciplined enough. Is that the kind of guy? See, Mr. Huell Mosley 
knew exactly what was going on. And he was like, this boy's never had to grow up. He's going to grow up right here at seminary. Y'all all right? It's wisdom, see? And, and so when I was doing this in my office preparing this, these memories came flooding back. Y'all all right? And I was like, man, you missed it right there. See, context is king. Unrighteous. Don't do that. This is, this is a hard word. Paul says, go ahead and be cheated. This is to defraud or to make destitute. People will try to cheat you if they can. This word means to cheat other people, to deprive them. People see lawsuits as a way to make money. They don't care if they hurt you in the process. Paul is telling us as believers, don't do that in the church. And can I say this? Don't do it out of church either. There's no reason to sue people unless there's a, a reason for doing that and causing these problems. I, I know people that will sue the medical industry or a hospital at a drop of a hat. And sometimes it's necessary. It needs to happen. But man, there's a lot of people that go in a hospital just looking for an opportunity to make some free money so they don't have to work. And in the end, it hurts all of us. So instead of being the problem, we need to be part of the solution. And so Paul says here in verse number 8, Instead, you act unjustly and you cheat and you do this to believers. And Paul tells us don't do that. Now, sometimes you're going to have to do that. Paul says in Romans 13, Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. So let me say this. If you get sued from someone out in the world, lawyer up. You better lawyer up, and you better lawyer up fast because they'll go after you and take everything that you have. And we'll give you some biblical examples here in, in just a moment. The Bible says that you should suffer and endure the injustices, and Matthew 5, 11 comes into play in the Beatitudes. The child of God is to live a different caliber of life. And, and Paul uses verse number 9 and 10 to show us the differences in the people in the world and the people in the church. He's saying, we're different. We, we don't act like that. Amen? Not long ago, I heard of a man who loaned another Christian some money. And although he tried to collect the money and get it back, the man never would pay him. So he goes to the, the, the leaders of the church. They talk to the man. He still wouldn't pay him back. Finally, the man who had taken the money received a receipt in the mail. Been paid. So he calls the man. He says, listen... I haven't paid you for that. Why would you send me a, re a, a, a receipt for that? He said, well, what I wanted you to know is I took that to the Lord and I prayed about it. And the Lord told me that he would repay me. And so I'm letting you off the hook. And I just wanted you to know I sued you in the court of heaven. It's between you and the Lord now. <laughs> That's good, isn't it, sir? All right, let me, let me tell you about what happened to me. Okay, and, uh, and I had a right to sue because this wasn't in the church, and I didn't. I had neighbors in my neighborhood. When I graduated from seminary, I, I couldn't get a pastorate because Susan was in medical school, and she was about to graduate, and we would be leaving. So nobody wanted to hire me for two years. It was very difficult. So I started painting houses, and I lived in Old Town, Memphis, and there was these... It, 
The first thing is I painted a couple of rooms for one of my neighbors. She said, gosh, you did such a good job. So all the ladies saw what kind of work I did. And so everybody in the neighborhood. So for a year, I stayed right in my neighborhood. I mean, there was so much, and I was, and it was awesome. I was bringing money into the house. Believe it or not, as an intern, as a, a medical intern, intensivist, Susan was making $27,000 a year. This was uh, 1998, 1999. And so I'm painting houses. Well, one of them, somebody recommended to their friend, said, well, guy's finished seminary he's done with school he's painting houses he did a great job recommended me to them so i went over they had an old house they got some uh some inheritance money and they were wanting to paint the house and so i painted their house i painted the inside i painted half the house on the inside had some old uh paneling on the inside i kilts it painted it she wanted her cabinets done i said well, i'm not a cabinet painter but i'll spray them for you if you want me to she said, oh, yeah, it'll be fine. We don't expect a whole lot. Well, I sprayed the cabinets, and I thought they looked pretty good. The next time I showed up, they were there. Early in the morning, the next Monday, got fired. They told me to get out of their house. Their cabinets looked worse than anything they ever had done, and they were going to have to strip them and redo them. I said, okay, fine. So I left. And the longer I thought about it, the longer I thought about it, I said, I'm going to sue the pants off of them. And over the weekend, the people that lived across the street from me that recommended me was actually a lawyer and a paralegal. He was starting a business. I ate supper with them a couple of times a month, trying to lead them to Christ. Ow. Whole week's worth of work painting in their house. The Lord said, let it go. And it was quicker than that, Albert. I could, I, it, that was quick, but... Amen. It took me about a week to get there. The Lord dealt with my heart. For their sake, I let it go. Even though it wasn't in the church, I just let it go. And I said, they're unhappy with the work that I did? Fine. Guess what? Almost every house I painted from then to the time we left Memphis, people paid me extra. And every time it happened, the Lord said, I'm paying you the money back, Jerry. See, the Lord was dealing with my evil, greedy heart uh, up front. And was trying to teach me how to not be. And guess what? Today, I don't have a lot of money, but I have the most given heart. I, I, I mean, I loan everything I own except my golf clubs. No, you can't borrow my golf clubs. But <laughs> everything else, I will loan you. If you tear it up, I won't even ask you to pay for it. Why? Because it doesn't belong to me. The dispute is what kills your heart. Especially if it was worth what? I probably would have made about $1,000 for that week's painting. Is my integrity and your integrity worth more than $1,000? See, Paul tells us that there, there's a difference right here. Notice the difference. Paul says, don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And he goes through and he lists these things about all of these people. And he, he says they're fornicators. They're sexually immoral. They're idolaters. See, they worship money. We don't. So losing $1,000 was not a big deal, especially when I know, I know, that I probably shouldn't say this, but th listen, I lost that $1,000. Guess what my father-in-law did when we left Memphis? We went to pay him back the money. He, we bought a house in Memphis. He gave us $90,000.
thousand, ninety thousand. Simplest redneck can do that math. We, did I hurt? Did it cost me anything to fool around with those people? No. Here's what I did. I prayed for them. All right. Adulterers. Uh, moikos. Effeminate. Soft. Listen. Here's what. Listen. And just as a side note, by the way, this is Langyap. This is free. This is the Baker's Dozen. This is the Louisiana 12. You get 13 shrimp. You get one for free. This is, this is extra right here. Especially those of you who are listening to me by way of the Internet. And you say there's no word in the, in the New Testament for homosexual. This is the word moikos. It means an effeminate, a soft male, a male prostitute, a homosexual, a catamite. Malachos, one who is male and in a relationship with another male. It's there. There's a clear distinction in this word between male and female. Men are men. Women are women. And the people of God said? Homosexual offenders. It's an abuser of oneself. There's a word for someone who defiles themselves, abuses himself with another person of the same sex. They're thieves, kleptase, kleptomaniac. We get our word from that. They're covetous, they're drunks, slanderers, they're revilers. Is this, listen, here's what Paul's doing. Let's put it in context. Time has run out on me. Is that the group of people you want to take your business to? Ooh. Judges and people now making it okay for six-year-olds to get reassignment gender. That's who you want to take your business to? Someone who will tell you that a transgender man can menstruate to, a, to an education board who are putting feminine products in the man's bathroom? That's who you want dealing with? Someone who will literally tell you the question was asked by one of our senators to one of these leading advocates of this the other day, can a man have a baby? She says, yeah, absolutely. Transgender men can have babies. That, I mean, really? You have no uterus? You have no mammary glands? You, have, you don't have a fallopian tube? You have no eggs? And you're not going to get any. Key word, i gotta got to finish. Verse 11, and some of you were, used to be like this. The scripture always, always gives us a clear demarcation line between saved and lost. Were, you were. So last week I told you, some people can't believe when I tell them, how I got saved and where I was at. You know why I don't talk about it from the pulpit a lot? You'll listen to some people's testimony and you'll think that they were proud of where they used to be. I don't want you to know where I used to be. I want people to look at me now like they do and they'll say, Brother Jack, I can't believe you ever used to talk like that or go those places or do those things. Good. Because I don't want to even look like I used to be there. You okay? It took a long time to work it out. Get it out. That's what I used to be. It's, it's reflective. He says, you're sanctified, you're justified. Church of God, say amen. 
you are sanctified. That means you're holy and you're justified. And the Greek word for justification means you're treated as if you never sinned, ever. Not that you sinned and were forgiven. Justification in the New Testament means you get treated like you never sinned. You didn't do it. And Paul says, that's what some of you folks were, but now you're justified in the name of the Lord. And he says, listen, who do you want, who do you want your business to go to in the church? So wouldn't it be great if we had folks that got at odds with one another? And listen, we're not perfect. We get at odds with each other. Amen? We do that. They say, I want to I sit down with the spiritual leaders of the church and let them make the decision, and then I'll live with it. Amen? To God be the glory. That's good stuff. Amen? That's what we're looking for. The Bible says that love covers a multitude of sins. And so if you're here this morning, I would like for you to leave what these people were, the unrighteous. And I want you to come and I want you to say, Brother Jerry, would you please tell me today how that I can be sanctified and justified and if you're watching by way of internet and you don't, you don't understand this, I just want to say this to you. Jesus Christ, by way of the Holy Spirit, will draw you to salvation. And some of you are being drawn right now, and you think, oh, I just can't. The community I hang with, they won't understand it. My family won't understand it. This is about you. This is not about being Baptist. It's not about being Catholic. It's, this is about your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And you're going to have to stand before him one day and give an account of what you did with his son. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. You may be a Mormon, steeped in Mormonism, but you know you're not saved. You know you don't have a relationship with Christ. You may be a Southern Baptist, but you know good and well you've never committed your life to Jesus Christ. Many people are seated in places where even the gospel's been preached but they've never been confronted with the fact that they haven't taken that step to committing their life to Jesus Christ. And you can do it by just saying, Lord Jesus, would you come into my heart? I want you to be my master, my Lord, and my boss. Forgive me of my sins. Let me be your child. Do you know what that is? That's a prayer of salvation. <laughs> and if you mean that, he will save you and your whole life will change today. Let's stand to our feet.